Come on in to Margaret McSweeney's Kitchen for Kitchen Chat, where every week you'll meet chefs, cookbook authors, foodies, gourmets, and just plain people who love to eat. And along with laughter, chat, recipes, and stories about food, you'll sometimes also hear words of inspiration, love, and hope. As Margaret always says, kitchen chat is food for the senses and food for the soul. So grab a cup of coffee, put your feet up on a comfy chair, and get ready to spend a little time with Margaret and her friends. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Kitchen Chat. This is Margaret McSweeney, your host on webtalkradio.net, and welcome to my kitchen. I am so glad that you are joining me here today, and actually, I have some some news I'd like to share. You know, the kitchen is a place where we all gather and share our celebrations, share our concerns, share our recipes, share our friendship, and all of that, and, and with that in mind... Um, I just would like to share some surprising news uh, that I received right before Mother's Day. I have just been recently diagnosed with breast cancer. It is fortunately at the early stage, and I'm, I'm so grateful. And a reminder, women out there, please, please take the time to get your mammograms. Uh, that is that is so important when you can detect and diagnose cancer uh, at an early stage. It's much easier to treat. So right now, uh, I'll be having some important conversations with my husband and family regarding uh, the next step in terms of decision-making for surgery and, and treatment. And I appreciate your, your thoughts and, and prayers during this process, but I assure you that I will continue kitchen chat. I just, this is such a special part of me and, and just, I, I so enjoy being in the kitchen and, and hearing from you all. And so anyway, it's, it's ironic here in, um, 2012, as I recently just celebrated my 50th birthday, I am not only on a culinary quest, but also a cancer quest. And um, I guess you could call this C squared, <laughs> my C squared journey, uh, culinary and cancer. Who would have thought? But um, anyway, I'm positive. I, I, I want to remain positive through this. And, and as I said, I'm so grateful it is at the early stage. And my kind of taglines, I guess, through this journey have become know before you go in terms of making um, the choices for your own, you know, my own individual treatment uh, with this cancer and also face it, embrace it, and erase it. So hopefully this will um, as I call it, my be my unexpected lump in the road. And I'm so appreciative of the many doctors and friends, family, and of course, faith that is helping me navigate around this lump in the road. So anyway, with that being said, I, I'm so delighted to introduce a dear, dear friend to reintroduce who, who needs no introduction. He's um, been on Kitchen Chat a few times before and I so admire him, Chef Carl Raymond. And uh, Chef Carl, welcome back to my um, kitchen. Margaret, it is always a pleasure to be with you in your kitchen. And thank you so much for um, sharing this special show with me. It is certainly with great thoughts and prayers that we send all positive energy to you. And, uh, and that's important. It is important, and thank you so much. I really appreciate that. And and I just can't 
wait to hear about the very exciting things that are going on in your kitchen, Carl, uh, and out of the kitchen. Um, if I could just quickly remind listeners of, of your accomplished uh, repertoire, uh, you are the chef instructor at Astor Center there in New York City. I've actually yes. taken, yes, a, a cooking class there before. It's fabulous. I encourage um, those in the New York City area, definitely look for Chef Carl Raymond at Astor Center and those looking for a cooking destination, check that out too. And most recently, you've added a, a very exciting new title, and that is Food Editor of Mommyverse, which we are going to, to dis- discuss soon. Um, a whole new focus on Latin food. It is just so exciting to hear about, and I can't wait to hear a little bit later about how you have um, just just really embraced this um, the, the cuisine and and the new techniques of, of preparation and, and the great things you've done with mommy verse food. Uh, but before we get to that, Carl, catch us up on um, on your your cooking lessons and uh, what you're seeing in terms of trends of people who are looking for cooking classes. Well, absolutely. And, you know, um, I love my new role as food editor, and I can't wait to talk with you about that. But, you know, at my heart, I'm really first and foremost a teacher and have been for quite some time now. And when you look over the past few years of what's going on is the best news is that people are really coming back to cooking classes in droves. And whether it's because they've seen things on TV and they want to learn a little bit more about them or it's too expensive sometimes to go out and buy the food that they used to in restaurants and they want to do it at home, whatever the real reasons are, people really are coming back. Um, in a very strong way. And and over the past few years, I really have seen some things evolve, which are very exciting. One is that people really want to learn technique now. You know, they're really allowing themselves to divorce themselves a little bit from, oh, I'm just going to cook a recipe. People want to know how to roast, and they want to know how to saute, and they want to know how to pan fry, and all these various things. And once you understand those, then really the world of cooking opens up to you, and you can start to cook anything and don't feel so tied to just what the recipe tells you to do. You actually know the techniques. In fact, I, I also teach at a very small school here, um, and we don't even use recipes when we when we do a class, so that's sort of mm. interesting. Um, another thing I see a lot are people coming into cooking classes really looking for community. People are really discovering how much fun it is to cook together, and all of a sudden you have, you know, your 14 new best friends. Um, but it really is fun to cook together, and um, and we're, we're seeing a lot of, of that. And it's so interesting, Carl, because I remember just with my one visit to your uh, kitchen there at, at Astor yeah. Center, there really is a sense of community. I mean, we were all sitting around that that table uh, there in the kitchen after preparing uh, that incredible James Beard-inspired meal. I remember that. And um, you're right. I think this is what people are really looking for, too, is, is a place to connect and uh to, well, it's, to create. Funny. it's funny, it's true. You know, so many times after classes, you know, nobody gets up and leaves. Everyone just is happy sitting there, which is wonderful. <laughs> They're talking. And, you know, I think the image that we see so much today is people watching food media or food TV while they're sitting eating their takeout. And there's <laughs> a huge irony to that. Uh, well, I'm glad people are coming, coming to class. Um, I find people really want to see the basics now, but they're also willing to really explore, well, two things. They're really willing to explore new cuisines. I spend a lot of time teaching 
Moroccan and North African and Indian and Southeast Asian. And obviously none of these are new cuisines. But the fact that people, you know, they do take unique ingredients that, you know, people may not be familiar with. And people are fascinated to learn about these different things. Um, The other fascinating trend that is very common now is people are really curious where the food comes from. Now, this whole farm to table movement has been going on for some years, but people are really fascinated now in cuts of meat. People are going to butchering classes. You wouldn't now I don't teach this, <laughs> but you would be really surprised at how popular these are because people are interested where the cuts of meat come from, how that affects the taste, how that affects the cooking, all these things. And you never used to see that, you know, um, a number of years ago. So the curiosity about food is really, I I see it in every single class I teach. That is great. So once again, the major trends, the technique, uh, community, cuisine, and uh, would you call it charcuterie? Is that kind of the charcuterie is really No, charcuterie is really the the curing of things like sausages and and meats and things like that. This It's really butchery. It's really, you know, taking a side of an animal and breaking it down into the various cuts and the shoulder and the loin and the rib. And, you know, once you understand that, all those cuts actually are cooked very differently. And I often say, you know, if it's a part of the animal that flapped or ran or whatever jumped or whatever it did, that means there's a lot of fat and cartilage in that meat. And so you want to cook it for a long period of time, very slow, and let all of that break down. And it also helps to keep, keep the meat moist, but also flavorful. Oh, that is great. And what is um, like your favorite new uh, spice that you're, you're using with your Moroccan food? I don't know a lot about Moroccan cuisine. Well, Moroccan cuisine is, is one of the really extraordinary cuisines of the world um, for a number of, of reasons. Um, it's, Morocco is a country that has tremendous natural resources, for sure. You have the sea, you have the mountains, you have forest, you have desert. Um, you also have a culture that has been influenced by many other cultures mm-hmm. over the years. There's the traditional Berber population. There was the, obviously, enormous influence of the Arabs. You have the Spain, you have the Spanish from the north, and, of course, much later you have the French that colonized Morocco. So all those all those. Um, Cuisines do come together in the food. Also, Morocco, um, the royal court really supported food. Food was very, very important in the royal cuisine. And that allowed other spices to come from around the world and really support the cuisine in the country. So it's really it's really extraordinary. But in terms of some of the, the spices and what is my favorite, one is cumin, hmm. which you find, interestingly, you do find it in Middle Eastern cooking, you find it in North African cooking, and you also find it in Latin cooking. So my my you know my apartment and my kitchen is sort of permanently perfumed with cumin these days. <laughs> and what exactly would how would you describe the fragrance of cumin? Oh, it's it's there's a there's a slightly bitter tart tangy aroma to it. Um, it's um, it's really one of my favorites. And you know the truth with a lot of these spices is that we're used to buying them in the little containers already ground. One of the things that you can do um, that will make the flavor even better is to buy the whole spice, buy the whole seeds, and then buy yourself a coffee grinder that you do nothing with except grind spices, unless you want cumin in your coffee in the morning. <laughs> but you, you, can, you can toast those spices, those whole seeds, in just a dry saute pan, and it allows the oils and the aromas to release, and then put them in your coffee grinder and grind them, and the flavor is just extraordinary. So... Um, if you want a little bit more kick in your uh, 
in your spices, that's a way to do it. And I will say to everybody, make sure you don't keep your spices too long. You know, when I was growing up, I think my mother kept spices for years on end, and they really do, you know, lose their flavors. So do they have an expiration date, or you just kind of go by? They so don't, but the basic, the basic rule of thumb is if your spices are on your shelf longer than six months, you need to, uh, you need to replace them. <laughs> well, there goes my spice cabinet. <laughs> I'll come over and we'll figure out, we'll go through it. That sounds great. That sounds great. And I'm so excited to hear about, uh, you're using cumin to um, cook with your Latin dishes, but before we get to, to mommy verse, and I can't wait to chat about that, uh, just to, to go back to, uh, the cooking classes. Sure. What what should uh, a potential home chef look for in terms of choosing a class? Well, I love that question because, as I said earlier, there are so many people that are going back or coming to cooking classes for the first time now. The curiosity is certainly peaked. People want to, you know, roll up their sleeves and get their hands dirty a little bit. And the good news is that there's more opportunity now than there ever was. There are more, you know, recreational cooking programs that are open and there is a huge variety of classes out there. And what I think is very important is that when you want to take a cooking class, you have to think about what kind you want to take. And there are usually two different kinds. There are straight demo classes where a chef will stand up in front of you and will do a demonstration of all the dishes where you probably don't get your hands dirty at all. You might get a glass of wine, but you don't get your hands dirty. Hmm. Then there are classes that, as you know, which was the format that you took, which is very hands-on, where there's a little bit of demo, but there's a lot of hands-on work. There's a lot of cooking those dishes together. And you really have to decide what you want. If you, my, It's my opinion. If you really want to learn to cook, then you need to get a hands-on element in there because you can watch me forever, but until you really touch the food, until you handle the knife, until you understand how those things look in the pan, when they're really done, and you sort of understand those things for yourself, corrected by a chef, you know, that's when you really start to learn to cook. There's nothing wrong with going to demo classes. I think people will always learn things with those. But um, that's almost more for entertainment value. The other thing that I would say is that if you really want a good cooking class, make sure it's at least three hours long. Hmm. Um, there, I know that sounds like a long time, but if you're really going to cook the food yourself, there are some classes that are much shorter. And they're okay, and they give you a little taste of things. But um, I think you really need a little bit more time in the kitchen to prepare those dishes. So when you're looking for cooking classes to take, look for some of these things. And also look for chefs' certain specialties. You know, I certainly have mine. We all, as, as cooking teachers, have to teach a wide range of things. But I certainly have my specialties that I love to, to teach. And, um, and I think that's important, too, that you, you know, don't come to me for a pastry class. Come to me for an Indian class. <laughs> and I am going to put that on my list of things to do, Carl, for sure. Um, you know, it, when it's great to have that that hands-on opportunity, but when we come home alone to the kitchen, <laughs> that's when fear sets in. I, what are your favorite resources in terms of cookbooks on the variety of levels? You know, for for those who um, need an easy to follow recipe and those who really like a challenge in terms of creating a gourmet uh, meal, what are what are your favorite sure. cookbook resources? Well, you know, when you're first sort of building your cookbook, I mean, it, it, it's a little scary. I look around my apartment, and I've at this point probably got close to 500 cookbooks. I, I've really got to weed some of these out. But um, <laughs> anyway, 
there are some real basics that I think are essential and people that you should really look at that will give you not only some some simple recipes, but also very flavorful recipes, and that will also help you understand the technique. And one person that I think is essential to go to is Mark Bittman. And he's just um, come out with, an, it's sort of the new illustrated cookbook. I, I don't have the right title, but it's really a wonderful book because it's all illustrated with photography and accompanied with recipes. So not only do you see a wide variety of really wonderful recipes that you can make, but he also talks about the techniques that are involved. You know, as I was saying earlier, you know, the saute or whatever, steaming or whatever it happens to be, mm-hmm. so that you really learn what's behind the recipe. And I was really happy to see that. Another cookbook, which I, is it a great go-to book? It's called Cooking Know-How. And the authors are Bruce Weinstein and Mark Scarborough. And that book goes by classic dishes, but also breaks them down into technique and then gives you a lot of variations. Hmm. So once you understand how to make the certain principle technique, then you can go off and make 10 other recipes just by varying the ingredients. And that's also extremely visual. And I love, I love that book. I also think when people are learning to cook, one of the great go-to chefs really is Jamie Oliver. Um, mm. I love his I love his joie de vivre for sure. Love his personality, but he, in a very conversational way, explains to you what's going on in the recipes. He, of course, insists on good, um, fresh ingredients. But you know, Jamie's books are really um, are really wonderful. That is great to know. And and do you have any hints for the home cook in terms of how to really effectively? prepare menus. I think that is my biggest challenge in terms of uh, do you sit down and plan the week ahead? Do you tra- uh, you know, daily? I mean, what do you have yes, any quick fact, tips? Mm-hmm. I actually, believe it or not, I actually do that because if every day is a huge challenge and you're, you know, it's sort of the 6:30 meltdown and <laughs> I, I don't know, you know, and you look in the refrigerator and you don't have this I, I really do believe that you need to sit down and think through. It doesn't have to be completely prescribed, but you know, if you're going to buy some chicken, are you going to have that a couple nights a week in a couple of different ways? You know, think through those things. Think through how to use the vegetables. One night they might be a side dish, you know, asparagus, for example, and then the next night or the night after, you could cut it up and saute it and mix it in with some rice, and then use part of that chicken that you roasted two days ago. <clears throat> I just think it's a very efficient and um, and certainly economical way of using food so that you don't panic every single day and realize that there's no food in there. Yeah. Yes, and, and, and do you have any recommendations in terms of, do you just use a regular notebook or do you have, you know, is there a, a special online tools for, um, you know. There might be, you know, I've seen, I've, I've heard that there are, you know, a lot of apps out there now that, that address this sort of thing. I just got my, you know, my iPhone a couple of months ago, so I'm really still working with that. But um, for me, I just make a couple of notes on a piece of paper and think about things. Usually what I try to do is pick one or two principal proteins for the week. So it might be chicken and pork or chicken and salmon or whatever it happens to be. And then I think through a couple of variations of what I'm going to do with that. You know, one of the best things you can always make is a roast chicken because it's very easy and it's a great meal. But then you've got all that meat on hand, so what you do with it, maybe it's a soup, maybe it's a sandwich, maybe it's tossed with pasta. You've already gotten two other meals that you can get, you know, out of something like that. Same thing is true of a pork tenderloin. You know, you'll roast that pork tenderloin and have a beautiful, you know, meal one evening. 
But that also makes great sandwiches, and that's really great on top of a salad, just some tossed greens and a little bit of sliced pork, and then maybe you make a dressing for it. Um, so if you think of a couple proteins every week that you use, I think that's a good way to think about it. Not every night. Perfect. No, that that is great. That is a great idea. Thank you for sharing that. Now, I am so excited to talk about your new endeavor as food editor of Mommyverse. And listeners, that's M-A-M-I-V-E-R-S-C, and I'll provide a a link, mommyverse.com. And and what's so fascinating, it's uh, the online voice for Latina moms, families, and foodies and positivity. I love that tagline. (laughs) But it goes beyond that, too. I mean, you don't have to be a mom to, to access these incredible resources, especially on the food section, for, for which you are the new food editor. And, and just by way of background, it, it's so fascinating, Carl, that that looking at the trends, because as a far, former Wall Street banker, I'm, I'm always looking at the business side of things, and it, I did not realize that um, the Hispanic mar- market for uh, Latin cuisine uh, as the, the data as uh, researched by marketresearch.com projects sales of $14 billion by 2014. Yeah. I mean, that is just amazing. I mean, Latin food seems to be uh, just a really great growing <laughs> trend. And how exciting that you are on the forefront of this uh, with Mommyverse, which has just been been launched. Um, so, first of all, if you could just tell us specifically uh, a little bit more about Mommyverse sure. and uh, what your um, uh, your role is in, in terms of uh, launching this. From the well, food. absolutely, and and I love what you, the statistic that you just gave because it's yes, Latin food is increasing, but it's the Latin population, mm-hmm. you know, that's really increasing. And you see now just general consumer product companies all of a sudden launching, you know, Fiesta brands or things that have Latin flavorings in them. It's really it's really quite extraordinary. But Mommyverse.com um, has been around for about a year now, and it was launched by um, a dear um, publishing colleague of mine that I worked with who really saw an opportunity in the marketplace um, to address something that was not addressed, and it was for uh, Latino women and their families and how to, connect, how to better connect with their families um, through a variety of subjects, pretty extraordinary that it didn't exist quite in the same way, but it has been very successful since it launched. And then two months ago, we launched Mommy vs. Food, and um, I was brought on board because not only my publishing background, but of course my, my food background, to create this food channel to really, you know, one of the, the whole point of the site is what are points of connection for a family, and what better one than food? Right. Yes. Right. (laughs) Yes. So it was about the goals and objectives were a number of things. It was, of course, how to provide recipes for wonderful, great tasting food. Also have a healthy food and and better eating element, which, you know, we all we all need to um, think about these days. And the positivity is to really bring a source of inspiration to bring people around the table and to connect with families. And a lot of um, what we're doing is I'm working on recipes that moms can cook with kids and dads can cook with kids. So it's not just a question of eating together, but it's actually preparing the food together. And that's super important because that is one of the greatest ways that kids learn better nutrition. They they learn how to cook themselves. 
and and that of course empowers them through their entire lives. So it's it's a pretty ambitious goal, but um, so far it's working, and we, I couldn't be prouder to be part of Mommyverse. Oh, this is so exciting, and I am so impressed with the resources you have on there. I mean, one of the featured um, chefs is executive chef uh, Daisy Martinez, and uh, share a little bit about what um, she is doing in terms Absolutely. of mm-hmm, well, her role. You know, um, listeners will certainly know um, Chef Daisy's work from her series on PBS and then um, her follow-up series on the Food Network. So she is very much one of the um, most beloved um, celebrity chefs. We just had her on the Today Show launching Mommyverse um, a couple of weeks ago. So that's great. And and she produces video content for us. If you go on to the Food Channel of Mommyverse, you'll see over 20 videos where Daisy actually takes you through preparing basic dishes with, of course, her very special flair and flavor and uh, tells you how to do them. Also, she contributes original content. Um, She's written articles for the site and continues to do that. And also, we promote her books. She's done um, several books with wonderful recipes, which we've reprinted some of those on the site and tied them to various holidays and and events and things like that. that. So um, she very much is our executive chef. She's very much um, the face of Mommy vs. Food, and um, I couldn't be happier to be working with her. That is right, and you you also on um, the line, and I encourage all the, the listeners out there, go to mommyverse.com and click under the, the food section. Uh, you have some very interesting contributors as well, Eva Longorio, I noticed. What we have done with, with her is she published a book um, on her kitchen and on her cooking, and so we worked with her publisher. And they allowed us to um, reprint some of the recipes from her. But whether you're a great celebrity or whether you're a food blogger or whether you're just a regular mom or you're a chef somewhere in between, it doesn't matter. We cover all of those perspectives on Mommy vs. Food because it is all about tying people together with food. And whether you're a celebrity or a mom, it's really the same thing. Yes, exactly. You're all a star in the kitchen. (laughs) (laughs) I hope so. Exactly. Now, let's chat a bit about Latin cuisine. Uh, What what is, um, I guess, the marquee? I guess, would you say, the, the trademark uh, of Latin cuisine, and uh, how has it surprised you in, in learning how to embrace uh, this new technique in cuisine? Well, the interesting thing about, the thing about Latin food is Latin food is fun, you know? <laughs> and if you, had to put, if you had to put a label on it, you'd put spice. Now that, doesn't mean, now, that doesn't mean that every single Latin dish is spicy, because that isn't true, but um, you know, as I've said earlier, a lot of my background is in, in you know, Middle Eastern and Indian and, you know, cuisines that use a tremendous amount of spice. Latin cuisine uses a tremendous amount of spice and a lot of flavor. But one, I think, of the most surprising things that people may not realize is the just enormous breadth of Latin cooking. You know, you have Puerto Rican and Dominican and all the islands of the Caribbean. You have Mexico, all the different regions of Mexico, which is that in itself is an extraordinary subjects central and south america peruvian brazilian all of these and of course then you have spain and you know the the cuisines in the spanish influenced cuisines in in europe so it's really enormous when you think about it um it's sort of looking at chinese cooking and the enormity of that and the regionalities of that and and that's why i love it um what is fascinating is that you do see some similarities with other cuisines you know if you take 
And it usually is in terms of the flavor and how flavors are built in those cuisines. When you look at basic French cooking, you usually usually start with a basic onion, celery, and carrot, and then you kind of build from there. Mm-hmm. When you're in India, you start often with a flavor base of onion, garlic, and ginger. Well, Latin cooking often starts with onion, garlic, and peppers. So you can see how you start with a flavor base like that, and it, and it is very similar in the way it's used um, around the world. I personally love... The, the chili peppers in you know some of the Mexican um, dishes and my living room is full of dried chili peppers right now. <laughs> it must be so fragrant, Carl. <laughs> it's wonderful. I think that is so fun and so decorative too. Yeah. Well, <laughs> um, another thing that I find really fascinating um, in the world of Latin cooking is, and, and I'm going to say a really scary word that a lot of chefs don't like, and you can certainly debate that, but that's, believe me, a whole other show. But the word, the word is fusion. Um, and what that means is, you know, cuisines that some chefs refer to it as confusion, but really it's about different cuisines that come together and, and bring the best parts of both of them, and then they fuse into something new. And a couple of trends that I find fascinating that I'm seeing is one is the Latin Southern um, blend, and I will use that word instead of fusion. I just did a feature interview with an extraordinary chef. Her name is Sandra Gutierrez. She's based down in the South, and she's just published a book called The New Latin Southern Cuisine, and Mm. it's really about who would ever have thought that Latin and Southern food would go together, or at least in the way that you you might think. Well, they do. There's also influences of Latin and Jewish cooking, going together in certain places around the world, and also Latin and Asian. And I just recently found a restaurant that was specializing in Latin and Indian. So really interesting stuff. You know, it's taking those, again, the basic flavors and bringing them together in a very new way. Well, you know, my heart is in the South, having grown up in Alabama, so I'd love to take a step back here and talk about uh, this new trend in terms of the fusion or whatever uh, with the Southern cuisine, new Latin Southern cuisine. Could you chat a little bit about what you're seeing there and what Chef Sandra... Well, a little bit about that is I need to hook hook you up with Sandra so that you can have a whole... Oh, (laughs) I love that because I hope they still use grits. (laughs) Yeah, but let's put put a little bit of cumin in there or coriander or a little bit of spice or chipotle or something, right? Right, right. Yeah, it's taking the very best of some of those those dishes and, and adding something to it and it really is um, it really is wonderful to see what's evolving you know a lot of the the fish dishes that are so wonderful in the south um, really are you know you get some benefit from a little bit of you know green pepper on there <laughs> right right and and healthy too I'm sure so less fried maybe I don't know I mean that's yes, that, that- well, that's a very important thing because that's another thing that's really going on, not only in Latin cooking, obviously, but in, in the cuisines um, all over the world, is looking at making them a little bit healthier. Um, there's an article on the homepage of the Food um, Channel right now um, by a, a registered dietitian talking about the issue of acid reflux, which in the Latin population is a significant issue, as it is elsewhere. And it's, a, it's an article to raise consciousness, but also includes a couple of recipes that are very traditionally Latin-influenced, and they're just lightened up a little bit to actually cut down on that on that acid because over time that really can be um, problematic. So, yes, definitely healthier. Yes, and one thing I do want to uh, mention to the Kitchen Chat listeners is that 
it is all in English. The whole website is all in English. Yes. Yes. So um, you don't need to go in and, and translate. And, and could you share with us the, the purpose behind that? Well, there, there obviously, you know, populations are evolving and there is very much um, a tremendously significant part of the Latin population right now that, um, that doesn't use Spanish as their everyday language. You know, they come from that. They may or may not understand it, but they're not using it as their everyday language. And that's, um, that's why we chose to do the site in English. Right. So, you know, it, it's, it's just a great resource for Latin cuisine and, and to try something new and, and try the spices. And, and you're featuring something, is that right, Carl, coming up for Father's Day as well? Yes, we have a great, we have a great story which we'll be posting next week, and it's from the dad's perspective. Um, it's a dad that cooks for his family and, and loves cooking with his young daughter and is absolutely teaching her about food. And, you know, um, I just interviewed a, a chef last week, and we'll be posting that interview, who talked again about growing up and how he first learned about, you know, the first food influence in his life, and it was cooking with his aunt or was sitting on a little stool and watching her cook. So, you know, that's really how people do learn. So, But I wanted to make sure we had a little bit of the dad's perspective in there just for Father's Day. And that is great. And <laughs> <laughs> that's important, too, because it's it's not only, you know, for the mom, but, but for everyone. And I think everyone em embraces Latin cuisine. And here in Chicago, of course, Rick Bayless and uh, his success with the Frontera restaurants and uh, cooking. We have some of products. the... We have some of the recipes of Rick's um, on the site too. He's he's definitely one of our, our our featured favorites. Oh yes, and and who are some other um, I guess you would say keynote chefs who have brought Latin cuisine to the forefront? Well, the one that you know I always go back to the classics. I mean, there are many chefs that are are doing some extraordinary things, um, but I always think you do have to at least go back and start with the classics, and Diana Kennedy um, is the one that really brought Mexican cooking particularly um, to the forefront um, a number of years ago here in the United States. She's still she's still cooking and teaching in Mexico, but um, she did a number of books that really are the seminal works for that because she spent years and years going to all the different regions of Mexico and came back and wrote these books, and it was a time when, you know, that was just not well-known at all. So she's one of my favorites. Oh, that's good. And speaking of favorites, what so far has been your favorite Latin dish to prepare? Oh, hands down, mole. Huh. Mole is, um, if you do the translation, it's, mole is a sauce, and it's Mexican. And it really, while there are moles in different parts of Mexico, mole really um, is best known in Oaxaca. Hmm. And it's a combination of, you know, you have the, the, the onions and the garlic and you have the peppers and all that, but also in a classic, uh, in one of the classic moles, you also introduce chocolate into the sauce. And it's Mexican chocolate, which is very different from um, the kind of chocolate that we think of, of here. And the reason that I love mole, it's, it's served with chicken or, you know, there are other things you can serve it with. But it's a very complex layered sauce. And, you know, I love things like curries and, you know, things that do have a lot of layers to them. So when I started um, playing around with mole, I mean, it's an enormous subject and you could be cooking moles your entire life. But um, I, that's one of my, my favorites is, is making a mole sauce with something. Wow. Okay. And is that something you can provide a recipe for? Oh, sure. No, I will tell you that mole, um, there is a wonderful one on our site. Um, I will encourage readers or uh, listeners to go. 
Um, it's the mole that Aron Sanchez, um, who people will know from um, Food Network, he supplied his version of mole sauce. So I will, I will, I will steer people to that. It takes a lot of ingredients, and it takes usually a long time to cook because the flavors, of course, have to meld and and um, and cook for a while. But it's it's really a, just a spectacular thing. And does um, it I mean, take mm-hmm. a lot? Does it take a lot of stirring time too? Or are you constantly? No, it's a lot of simmering. You have to let all those flavors kind of get to know each other and, you know, and blend. That's one of the sort of rules of cooking, regardless of the cuisine, is that often, you know, often these things taste better the next day. And it's just simply because the flavors have to combine and they have to meld and they have to mellow out together. And then you get a beautiful um, tasting thing. But I mean, a good, you know, a good fish taco tastes good to me, too. Or, you know, enchiladas or I mean, anything with melted cheese. I really <laughs> and what uh, cheese do you mostly see used in Latin dishes? The me- well, it's it's funny. There are a lot of different, um, the um, many many different cheeses. Particularly, the cotilla is one that is is used. Queso fresco is one. And, um, I'm, I, and I'm sorry, Carl. What was that first one you mentioned? Cotilla. cotilla. How it's, do you- um, it's a white. It's a Mexican white cheese. Um, hmm. As is queso fresco. Um, but they're they're different cheeses. They some of them have are more conducive to melting than others, depending on what you want to want to do with them. But it's really worth finding a good local cheese shop if you have one and start experimenting with some of the um, the Mexican and Latin cheeses just to get yourself away from you know mozzarella and brie and you know things like that. Hmm. And traveling outside of of Mexico, what has been one of your favorite recipes from some of the other uh, Latin American countries? Oh, oh, can I go to Europe though? I mean, I was, oh, yes, I was in too. Spain. Yes. I was, mm-hmm. You know, well, there are a lot of them. Let me answer it. Actually, I find Peruvian. I'm fascinated by Peruvian cuisine right now, and I'm spending a lot of my personal time working with some of those dishes because um, their Peruvian cooking is becoming much more popular, much more, um, you know, you're finding Peruvian restaurants in a number of cities now. So that, that's one um, that I'm really fascinated with. And what would be on a Peruvian menu? Um, one of my favorite is a chicken, a chicken dish, which starts with a classic um, bechamel sauce, but then you add peppers to it and olives and eggs, and it just, the combination of flavors is just completely intoxicating as far as I'm concerned. Hmm. Um, but I love um, Spanish cooking, um, you know, a paella, to do a paella, things like that, where you have the meats and the fish and the shrimp and everything, just cooking with the rice and the savory um, flavors. And also, Spanish cooking often uses saffron, which is a spice you will find, of course, in North Africa, and it is the most expensive spice in the world. Saffron is the little stamen of the, the crocus, and, you know, it takes whatever the statistic is, an entire football field worth of flowers to just produce a single pound of saffron. So you can, and it all has to be done by hand, but it is a beautiful color and it is an extraordinary taste when you taste things made with saffron. So and how, how would you describe the taste of saffron? I don't think I've ever had that, Carl. It's one of those things that if you have too much of it, you'll taste it and you'll hate it. It hmm. um, can taste extremely medicinal. If um, if there's too much or if it's used too heavily, um, it's one of those tastes that if it's not there, you know, it doesn't really taste right. You know, if you're making a Moroccan tagine or you're making a Spanish paella or whatever, if you don't have your saffron in it, you know, it just doesn't taste right. It's like there are things when you're doing with in Thai cooking, if you don't have the fish sauce or the lime juice or the lemongrass or whatever it is, it just doesn't taste quite right. Um, and that's very much the, the truth of saffron. I don't know how I would 
quite describe it because you don't want to ever taste a dish and say, oh, love that saffron. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so it's the subtlety. It is absolutely the subtlety. Okay. And the community of flavors <laughs> with which oh, it absolutely. mixes. Oh, that's so neat. And, of course, my heart is also with Brazil since I lived there for uh, six months. So, that's uh, right. Yes, the only Portuguese-speaking country, I might add, in, in yes. South America. But do you include do you include them uh, in some wonderful, fun uh, recipes on? Absolutely, on- I just um, I need to edit them, but I just um, got three Portuguese recipes, which we'll be including. And some of those, you know, stews and grills and things like that, are just um, just wonderful. I mean, you can see the diversity of the flavor and the diversity diversity of the recipes is is just extraordinary and. In Latin cooking, I don't know if I'll ever go back to Europe again. Huh. Wow. <laughs> That's a, yeah. So so hopefully this will uh, inspire you to do a lot of traveling then too outside of the kitchen. Oh, absolutely. I definitely need to go south of the border here and look at some of this. Absolutely. Oh, that sounds great. Well, I am just so excited, Carl, about your new position as food editor of Mommyverse and and helping launch Mommyverse Food. And listeners, I will make sure that we do provide the the link to mommyverse.com. Also, please follow on Twitter at Mommyverse uh, for some great tips and and articles uh, going on, too. And uh, it's just a great resource. So thank you for for sharing with us about Latin cuisine. I've I've learned so much and and can imagine the fragrance of your kitchen, Carl, when you're (laughs) testing these recipes. It's hard hard to avoid. Margaret, thank you so much. Such a a pleasure as always um, to be with you and uh, thinking of you a lot. And we'll keep talking and eating. Uh, Definitely. Definitely. And listeners, please connect with Carl and please connect with me here on on Kitchen Chat on webtalkradio.net. I love to hear from you. And um, next week we're doing something interesting. I'm going to be uh, broadcasting in front of a live audience at Barrington Library here in the Chicago suburbs on June 11th at 7 in the evening. I hope those of you in the area can, can join me. I will be interviewing Amelia Levin, who has just uh, compiled a wonderful new book called Chicago Chef's Table Cookbook uh, with recipes from famous Chicago chefs. So I'll be interviewing her on Kitchen Chat and she will be there for a book signing and also to to answer questions. But thank you again, dear listeners, for, for taking the time to, to tune into Kitchen Chat and to, to visit with me and, and Carl uh, in, in my kitchen. And uh, thank you so much for your thoughts and prayers during this uh, cancer journey along with my culinary quest. I look forward to being in touch and always remember, and I think it takes on even more poignant meaning now, just always remember, savor the day. Thank you for joining us today. If you're interested in Margaret's books, A Mother's Heart Knows, Pearl Girls Encountering Grit, Experiencing Grace, and Go Back and Be Happy, please just click on the covers on the webtalkradio.net page in front of you. Margaret would love to connect with you and hear from you, so join her on Twitter, Facebook, her blog, or click on this website to leave a note and share a recipe. Thank you again, and we'll see you here again for a new show next week.